Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Guys, so one of the difficult things about being a pastor and being, being your pastor is that people often invite you uh, into the deepest parts of their life. And they invite you into uh, their tragedies and they invite you into their hardship and they invite you into their pain and they invite you into their grief. And you're supposed to know what to do in that situation. And as a younger pastor, it's more and more difficult uh, because if I'm real, I don't know what to do. And people still invite you in anyway because you're the pastor. And, and so we move into these situations and you've probably been there as a friend of someone or part of someone's community group where you're brought into someone's tears and tragedies and you're supposed to know what to say as if we know what to say in the midst of these things. And people expect from us answers and when we go in, People looking for answers, all we go in is with questions and more questions and more questions, right? That's why for the next couple of weeks we've been looking at this book called The Psalms because the thing that gives me great comfort when I move into those moments with you and some of you I've already shared those moments with you as a pastor and it's why we're working, walking through this series. Um, I, I, get, I get great comfort from these scriptures that we've just read and uh, from this passage that we've just read because in many ways I don't need the answer. There is, there is a whole section of the Bible called the Psalms that, that has a whole series of not really answers but affirmations and encouragement. If you recall from last week, I said that the Psalms perhaps is God's greatest case book for the human emotions. Uh, it, and notice I said case book, not textbook, because it just has case after case after case of people dealing with their emotions, dealing with anger, dealing with frustration, dealing with grief, dealing with joy, dealing with wonder, dealing with deep sorrow, dealing with guilt, dealing with shame. And so case after case, and this section of the Psalms that we're going to look at today is probably the biggest section of the Psalms. It's called the Lamentations, the Psalms of Tears. And why, why we need to look at, at how we and, and how we best pray our tears is, is for, for very good reason because we live in a society, right, where everything outside of these doors is, is, is telling you and pushing you to either stuff your emotions deep down and pretend that you've got your big boy or your big girl face on for the week. You know, or, or alternatively, that we're just a, a slave to our emotions. We either stuff them or are a slave to our emotions. And, and, and what the Psalms will teach us and have been teaching us is that there's a third way, and that is to pray your emotions to God. Not to stuff them or to be a slave to them, but to pray your emotions to God. And we said last week that, you know, in a world where it is so difficult to be honest, even to those that are closest to us, shouldn't we at least be honest to God? And so this morning we're going to look at what it means to be honest to God with our tears. And the, and the deep risk, the deep risk if we don't work out how to do this well, is that we, we become Joni Mitchellized, I would say, I'd call it. Joni Mitchellized, where she said, rows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun and they rain and they snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down and still somehow. It's clouds illusions, I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. 
That's, that's not a song. You know, that, that's, that's a psalm. Right? It's not a song. That's a, that's a psalm. That's a modern day version of everything that we've just been reading through from the psalms. She says in a main chorus, I've looked at life from both sides now, from win and lose, and still somehow it's life's illusions I recall. I really don't know life at all. You know, I think the, the chorus of that song is like epitomizes the risk of what happens if we don't know what to do with our tears, that we become the sort of person, whether you're a Christian or not, that the only way that you've learned how to survive the hardships and the griefs of life is to become the sort of person that's embittered or disillusioned or angry or frustrated at life. And you subconsciously walk around saying, well, obviously I didn't know life at all. And so what we're going to ask this morning is, is it possible to look at life from both sides, you know, from, from win and lose and up and down and from joy and from tears and still not come away disillusioned, still not be Joni Mitchellized? And this uh, psalm, Psalm 126, it's almost like the perfect emotional map for how we deal with our tears. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, that you need to anticipate them, then you need to invest them, and then you pray them. The first thing that you do with your tears, if we're going to process them well, is that we anticipate tears. If you live long enough, and some of you have, you know this truth all too well that you will weep. And not only will you weep, you will look back on past wonders and past moments of joy and say, would I, could I, will, will I ever have that back again? And that's exactly what the first four verses of this psalm were saying. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. You know what that's saying? Rows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air. It's those, those moments of life when we've suffered a grief or a tragedy that we look back on thinking, will we ever get that back? If I could, Lord, if I could just have one moment of that back again. And that's what they're yearning for. Restore our fortunes, O oh Lord, like streams in the Negev, the Negev a desert just south of Jerusalem. Now, what's the context here? We don't, we don't quite know what the context for them all was other than this, that there was a time in their lives where the work of God was so good and so beautiful and so amazing and so fruitful that they just wished that they could have last, it lasted forever. And yet now they find themselves in a place of barrenness and dryness and fundamental grief as they await Lord to, the Lord to bring that back to them. Again, And so what it shows us is, first and foremost, that being a person of faith doesn't mean that your life will be free from sorrow. Being a person of faith doesn't mean that you're always going to have good times. That's what verse 4 was saying, restore our fortunes. And it's pretty obvious, but what it's saying is that, is that no matter how much or how big or how present God is in your life, um, he's not going to guarantee you a lack of sorrow throughout life. No matter how much he has done for you, you will, you, will know, you will never have a period of unbroken joy throughout your life. You will weep. And like I said, uh, Psalm 126 is a roadmap for that, that, that Christian journey and that human journey because verses you know, 1 through to 3 are those times in which it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And then verse 4, yet Lord, do something now uh, because verse 5 through to 6 we're in a time of incredible pain and tears. 
Now, I'm the sort of person who, I'm that sort of person, you know, when you said, do you like the good news or the bad news? You know, those sorts of people, you know that saying? Who, who's, who's a, I like, I like the bad news first so I can have the good news later? Okay, you're, you're with me. I'm the sort of person who likes the bad news first. And the bad news first, when it comes to this passage is, you will weep. There will be hardship in, in the Christian life. I don't, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that just because you're a Christian, quantitatively, that if you become a Christian, there's somehow a quantitative minimization of grief in your life. Just don't see it anywhere. And, and, and what that means is it gets rid of that crazy, that crazy, crazy myth that, that some people and some churches and some denominations of Christianity float around that say, you know what, it, once you become a Christian, then God will just make your life better. And when we mean better, free from sorrow. And it's just craziness, that sort of thinking when we see what the Psalms are saying to us here. You know, look at the life of Jesus. Look at, look, look at, at look what his life was like in the ups and downs. And look, as a, as a side note, when we see this and we anticipate his tears, see what this does? It gets rid of that crazy thinking. And you might have heard this in the Christian land. In Christian thinking, it gets rid of that crazy thinking, the way that somehow people can say that if you're in a time of terrible suffering and you're in tears, that maybe it's because you lack faith. Right? All those crazy churches or Christians that say in the middle of your tears and your grief, that maybe just maybe it's because there's some deep sin in your life that you haven't told us or the Lord about. Have you, have you heard this? Like people say this. It's crazy. It's crazy when you look at the life of Jesus because here's Jesus, he's weeping, he's sweating drops of blood. He's so under the pressure of his pain and his tears. He was sinless and he had perfect faith. How's that working for him? Crazy thinking. You will, you will weep. And when you anticipate your tears, it gives you an incredible resource. It helps you understand that you will weep and, if we weep and if we call a spade a spade, sometimes life is just a conjunction of crap. Right? So we'll weep. And when we've, when we've got, when we've, when we've captured that, then it gives us the second resource that we can have in that is that if we anticipate our tears, we'll cry less. I'm not saying that you won't cry, you'll just cry less because now you're no longer crying at the fact that you're crying. <laughs> okay, I call, I call this Bridget Jonesification, you know, the Bridget Jones principle. Anyone seen that movie from the 1990s, Bridget Jones's Diary? That's that principle of like Bridget Jones always seems to be in those moments where she's on a couch listening to the song all by myself, eating a tub of ice cream because some relationship is broken up and she finds herself crying over the relationship but, but she's been crying so long that she's actually crying at the fact that she's crying, Right? <laughs> And if you anticipate your tears, then you won't Bridget Jones your grief and your tears and you won't be crying at the fact that you're crying. You'll just be crying less. I didn't say you won't be crying. You'll just be crying less. You won't be crying at the fact that you're crying. And so if we've got that perspective that we anticipate tears and the tears are going to come and as a result then we cry less because it doesn't surprise us when we go through suffering. We're not shocked. We're not winded by suffering and grief in our lives. 
then it allows us to do something more magical and profound. Something more wonderfully mysterious. And the psalmist does this. They say to not only anticipate tears, but then to invest your tears. You see verses 4 to 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, and they'll return with songs of joy, carrying a harvest. It's like a harvest of tears. And so it's a remarkable picture that we've got here. Those who sow with tears. Notice, by the way, that, that in sowing with tears, it's not saying go cry your tears, get them worked out, and then, then go out into the field. It's this imagery of a farmer who's literally going out with these tears, getting ready to plant them into various parts of a field in which they're operating. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, they will then go and reap a harvest out of those tears. What is, what is, what's that supposed to mean? What it means is that you... You invest your tears in a way that you just don't let them all out. You're not just crying all over the place, but at the same time, you don't just stuff them all in. But instead, you look for strategic places where you can place your tears into the lives of other people. And this is, this is what I mean simply by this. Do you, do you cry alone or do you cry in someone's home? Because in a, in a world where... This vulnerability is such a hard thing to come by. What you might discover that there is an incredible return on your tears when you open yourself up to those spaces where it's safe, of course. I'm not saying you do this with everyone. When you find those moments to open up and it's safe to share your tears with someone because here's what happens magically within the church and within these safe spaces. It's what I call the, the fellowship of suffering. That dynamic where you can have two strangers from different parts of the city, different walks of life, different clothes, different ages come into a room and when they share that bond of that similar piece of grief, the the loss of a loved one, uh, health news, whatever that thing might be, there's a bond that forms, right? Have you ever seen this? This incredible bond that forms that you might be the friend, you could be the pastor, you could be the mum, you could be the dad, you could be someone who's in their closest circles and this complete stranger walks into the room and is far closer to them than anyone else. You've seen this? It's, it's, the, it's the fellowship of suffering. There's something profound in that. But most importantly, once you, once you have that, you come to realise that investing your tears in that space means that sometimes that person who's gone through the grief or going through the grief. (laughs) Notice that it says as they're walking out sowing, they're going through it. They're sowing tears as they're crying. It's not like go get your life right and then you can graduate to normal big church once you've worked your tears out. It's as you're going through that grief and you invest it and you share that with someone who's going through the same things, there is a unique and beautiful ministry of comfort to the person in grief from the person who's going through tears. Does that make sense? I know it makes sense to you because I've seen some of you. I've seen some of you out in the urban garden over a coffee and someone's just had the news that cancer's broken into their life. And, and, and I watched as one of our ladies pulled up a chair next to them and said, you know, when, when, I, when I went through my chemo, when I went through my cancer... What an incredible ministry. 
That's what it means to invest your tears. You, ant- you anticipate them, but then you invest them into the lives of others. Do you cry alone or do you cry in someone's home? I'm not saying you cry to everyone, but are you willing to be brave enough to allow those who are closest to you in your community group, in your friendship group, and maybe just maybe in those God-ordained moments where someone opens up their pain to you and you speak into it, you realise that what you have been through, what you are going through, and get this, might just be the most beautiful and the most powerful moment of ministry in this church all week. Did you hear that? The most powerful ministry in this church is not how well I've put this message together or how good our music was or how everyone came together and we set up morning tea and worked all of that. It is in that God-ordained moment when in this fellowship of suffering, someone in their courage opens up their tears to comfort someone else. It could be the greatest gift that you give to them. Now the difficulty, let's see, pause on this. The difficulty if you're going through this and hearing this is that you're saying, Sam, that sounds so cliched. <laughs> That's that classic cliche of, well, if I'm going through my grief and my tears, it's like, like, like that classic Christian line that I'll expect from a pastor. Well, maybe there's a purpose to it all. And it's more than that. It's deeper than that. But look, I want to say to you this morning, if that's how you feel and that's how you're reacting to that, then just forget everything I've said for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Seriously. Because if, if that is you and if it is too raw and it is too close to home for you this morning with what you're going through, then I just want to give you the gift of what we see from the psalmist here as to how you deal with your tears. Forget the rest of the ministry stuff. You just need to cry. You, you, just, you just need to cry. You know, my, my, my lovely wife down there, she's got a, she's got a, a wonderful, healthy principle in our relationship. <laughs> Don't you, hun? Right? And I, I, I love it. It's one of our most precious moments together. But she's got a thing called the floor cry. And when life gets a little bit too tough and a little bit too much, she showed me this, she taught me this, it's great. Like you just, you just lie down on the lounge room floor and you just let it all out. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, in fact, I knew it was a big week for you once that time you'd been off. It was a heavy week of ministry for her way back when she was doing youth ministry. And so when she, when she uh, got home, uh, she walked into the lounge room to fi- find that I had set up for her with a whole bunch of pillows <laughs> and a little printout that said emergency floor cry station. <laughs> And so all I want to set up for some of you, if you're in that space this morning, is I just I want to set up, thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> I just want to set up for you an emergency floor cry station. Maybe some of you just need to know it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry in, in, in a Christian life where... It's not always rosy and it's not always positive. It's okay to cry when sometimes no amount of positivity or self-talk can push you beyond what you're feeling. And so, so many places I could go, but I, just, I, just want, I want you to get this if that is you this morning. I want you to get this. Here's the first one. You've just got to pray your tears into the safety of his understanding. 
That's the first psalm that we read from this morning. Hear my prayer, Lord. This is David crying out to God. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Get this line, verse 13. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Can you hear what David is saying in the midst of the rawness of that psalm? He's fundamentally, it's it's theologically off the radar when we look at what he's saying here. At the end of that psalm, he's saying, Lord, hear my cries. And at the end of it, he says, you know what, Lord, get nicked. Right? Did you hear that? Just go away. Give me some space. Get out of my face, God, so I can just have a little bit of space before I die in him no more. Where the heck do you get writing like that in any other sort of self-help book? Look at, look, at the, look at the rawness of the way that he cries out and he speaks to God. And like I said to you last week, yet again, it's going to be a common theme. Maybe in the midst of your tears, you just have to rest in the restlessness of his grace. You know, what is that? I said to, to you last week, how's he talking to God? He's looking at him, he's saying, get Nick, Daddy, you're a poo-poo. <laughs> right? It's okay to call God a poo-poo. It's biblical. <laughs> Don't tweet that. (laughs) But I love the fact that this psalm shows us that we worship a God who doesn't censure our emotions. It's okay to come to him and he says, just just do it. Vanessa Amorossi style, just so cry, so cry, so cry. Just cry, cry. So you pray your tears, but here's the other one. Then you pray through the pressure of the darkness. And here's what I mean by that. Only, only under pressure, only under extreme pressure does coal become the diamond. And when you pray under the pressure of that, of, of that darkness, when you cry out to him, all, all too often does the Bible talk about the ways in which something mysterious happens under the pressure of our grief and our sorrow, that something happens within us that changes us and forms us into who God is calling us to be. And it sounds crazy that God would put us through that, that I would have to lose just the I know what the question is. How the heck does that work, Lord, that I have to go through this, that I'm suffering this, that I'm in the middle of this? And what that's, that's the cliched answer that, 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 that I've got to go through this in order for, for me to be the sort of person that you want me to become? That's ridiculous. I get the anger and the frustration. So does the psalmist. psalmist calls it how it is. Get nicked. But C.S. Lewis called it you know, the... the the uh, the deep alchemy, the deep magic that where the, the deep the deep magic where the medieval alchemists were always trying to find a way to turn lead to gold, and he says the deep alchemy of Christianity is there is such a dynamic that when you pray and you cry out to God in the pressure of the darkness, that coal becomes a diamond, that something happens deep within us, that we pray those prayers. That though, even though you, you are suffering, you, are, you rejoice, present tense, suffering. You rejoice because you know that your faith, which is worth more than gold, is being refined by the fire and it will prove itself genuine on that day that Jesus Christ is revealed. Something happens. Paul got it as well. He says, 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, hear that? Achieving for us an eternal glory 
that outweighs everything else that we've been through. How does that work? And friends, I'm not the only one that can give you an answer on that. Ask someone that's been through it over coffee this morning. But until you've been through it, and you will go through it, and when you trust him in it, you will discover the ways that something profound and supernatural happens in those moments. And I only know from my own perspectives, because as some of you know in my story, that that I'll never forget the phone call when it was 8 o'clock in the morning and I got the phone call that says, you, you better get to the hospital, your, your mum's dying, this is going to be it. And I, I just I remember um, putting on a worship song in the car by the time I got to Beacon Hill from DY and I just remember in the middle of that, that worship song in, in some ways just crying out, songs of, of praise to God and it sounds stupid and it sounds ridiculous but at the same time the most gut-wrenching painful grief that I'd experienced and I don't, I don't know how to explain how that happens but it's what 1 Peter 1 says though you suffer you rejoice it says this is deep alchemy something happens that's deeper and it's sweeter than the, the headspace theology of this stuff that we're talking about. And so what will you do with your tears? How will you pray them? Because I discovered in that moment when I prayed those sorts of tears that, that, that it's the sort of prayer that's off the, off the Richter scale. It's the sort of prayer that when you are in such inconsolable grief and there is anger and there is questioning and there is pain, there is just something that happens where it's not even words that are coming out. It's a soul-to-soul connection with the Lord that you are screaming to him in that moment. And you know what? It's, it's one of those few moments that I've had in my life where when I look back on it, it was a different type of prayer. It was a sort of prayer that wasn't a prayer that, Lord, will you help me with this? Will you fix this? Will you give me strength in this? Will you guide me in this? It was none of that sort of stuff. It was a sort of prayer where finally I was just praying to God because God's God. I don't know about you, but I, I just think for, for you and I, you know, how often do we go to God in prayer and treat him more like our employer than we do our father? Oh, Lord, you know, help, help with this situation. If you, could just, if you could just give me a few facts, if you could just give me a few bullet points and a bit of a price, if you could just the right resources that I could deal with this and just a little bit of a roadmap as to how I could get that and plus a little power and strength along the side, look, I'll just get on with the job. All right. Sometimes the deep mystery in our tears when we pray them is we finally get to the moment where we just speak to him for him. So what are you doing with your tears? And can I say to you this morning that if you are the sort of person who has looked at life from both sides, from up and down and from the happiness and from the lost and you feel disillusioned this morning, then, yeah, Joni Mitchell's right. You don't know life at all. Or you don't know the Christian life at all. Because for anyone who is a Christian, we, we, we have within us lit 
a pilot flame. You know the pilot flames, those things that sit under gas heaters so they can turn on eventually? There's one under your gas hot water system. And there, there, is a, there, is, there is always for the Christian, even in our darkest moments, a pilot flame of joy that burns, burns knowing that there is, there is a future for us because we see in the person of Jesus Christ that in the person of Jesus Christ, he is the only one who truly looked at life from, bro- from both sides and never walked away disillusioned. He looked at life from up and down, from heaven and from earth, from God and from man, from death and from life. And he wasn't disillusioned. And every follower of his has gone through the ups and the downs and the tears and the joy. They're the stories of the Bible when you go and read it and they're not disillusioned. Because anyone who is a follower of Jesus, unlike Joni Joni Mitchell and a two-dimensional life of up and down, Christians don't live on the plane of of looking at life from up and down and and in and out and one and two dimensions. We look at life three-dimensionally. And there is a future, there is a a y-axis. Is that how it works, science teachers? You know, there is a y-axis into a future that says that one day, he says, we will be with him and there will be no more tears and there will be no more crying. And it's all coming back. I'll finish with this story. It's from him. You, know, look, you go and read John's gospel in chapter 11. You go and look at Jesus and how he acts in John chapter 11. His best friend, Lazarus, is dead. He, he gets down there to the tomb and everyone's furious at him. Particularly one of his sisters is absolutely furious at him. She runs out and she says, Lord, if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Which, by the way, is how we think in most tragedies. Lord, this happened because you weren't here. You were late. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And so Jesus comes into this situation. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he comes into the situation with the two very things that you and I always wish that we had when we move into suffering. He came in with truth. He knew what was going to happen. And he came in with the power to fix the situation. He came in with truth and power. And what did he do? You go through and you read the story. And when you read the story and you see what he does, you hear the most remarkable sound in human history. And you hear God crying. And it says, Jesus wept. What sort of God is this? And if that's, if that's the head of our church, if, if he's the boss of our church, then what does it say for us individually and what does it say to you and I as a community? It says to us as an individuals, first and foremost, if anything that you get this morning and you're in the middle of pain and tears, God gets you. God understands you. God had the gumption to swallow his own medicine and cry too. But it shows us yet again that as a community, we need to be, we need to be those places. We need to be emergency floor cry stations for, for many people out there who are hurting, including us. And so, friends, I find this um, reflective. It's hardly my usual style this morning. And for good reason. I find it challenging. I I find this psalm affirming. But it's not one that I run out the door. I'm waving around, jumping for joy, doing box kicks like they do in those old school musicals. (laughs) 
I just wanted to show us if, if we anticipate our tears, we'll, we'll cry less. If we anticipate them, then maybe, just maybe, we'll have the courage and the bravery to invest them into other people. If we pray and we really pray, then maybe, just maybe, in that deeper alchemy, God will do something in our lives that means that even when we have looked at life from both sides, from win and lose, from up and down, from joy and from sorrow, we would be a people who wouldn't come away disillusioned. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.